Today on CityCast Salt Lake, our city has a secret garden, and maybe you've been there. It's called Gilgal Garden, and it's a garden of sculptures created by one man as a labor of love for his LDS faith. But it's not what you might expect based on that description. Our friend Scotty Hill is one of Salt Lake's finest art critics, and she recently wrote a piece for Southwest Contemporary about how the Gilgal Sculpture Garden just might be bizarre defined. And yeah, it's kind of hard to define, which is half the fun. It's Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Scotty, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's create like a word cloud of ways that we would describe Gilgal Gardens. I'll start. It's bizarre. It is unprecedented. It's like a secret garden. Yeah. Um, it's, it's strange. It's obscure. It's immersive. Immersive. That's a good one. Yeah. That's in the word cloud that like one gets bigger. <laughs> Somewhat fanatical. Fanatical is a word I would use. Mm-hmm. 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 It's also botanical, right? Like there is a garden element. Yes. It's kind of infuriating. For some people, it's nostalgic. And for some people, it's like in, almost insulting. Right. And the word that came up at least once is patriarchal. Yeah. And then, of course, it's like just very Utah. Quintessentially Utah. Quintessentially Utah. I'm going to start by making confession to you. I'm going to lay all my cards out on the table. I've never been to Gilgal Gardens. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so for me in particular, I feel like probably a lot of our listeners have been, but maybe not. Can you describe for me, I'm approaching the garden. I walk in. What do I see? Like, what is it? The process of finding Gilgal Garden is half the fun of it because it is nestled in a residential neighborhood not far from Charlie Square. And it's sort of in between these two houses. So you have to um, enter via this gate and there's a bit of a walkway. And then suddenly you're in this relatively modest space where there are a number of sculptures, 12 large-scale sculptures, and then over 70 decorative stones in what I think is less than an acre lot. As I understand it, this is, it was someone's backyard, right? Like this is a backyard art project. It absolutely is. So it was formerly the backyard of the mastermind who envisioned Gilgal Garden, Thomas Battersby Child. So you walk in, the first thing you see is the Joseph Smith Sphinx. And my sense is it's the garden being like, get ready. Welcome. <laughs> You've arrived. It's going to get weirder. <laughs> the Joseph Smith Sphinx is the sort of cult icon. <laughs> this um, face of the garden, if you will, it has a very large scale sort of bust of Joseph Smith on the uh, body of the ancient Egyptian looking Sphinx. Okay. You walk down that pathway and you instantly see this kind of colossal figure. I just am trying to understand why, like why a Sphinx? I feel maybe I'm just so disconnected from LDS history that I don't understand the symbolism, but to me it seems completely oddball. 
I think that the Joseph Smith Sphinx is oddball. To me, just my initial reaction is that it's this attempt to place Joseph Smith among the historical lineage of great wonders of the world. You know, that, that that's what the ancient Egyptians contributed was the great architecture, the Sphinx. But Joseph Smith and LDS history is among that tradition of great world contributions. Hmm. There's one mound on the other side of the Sphinx that has disembodied limbs. So there is a giant foot and a torso and then a head at the very top of this uh, mini mound or hill that eerily gazes out at you, although the, the face is in a sleeping pose. There's also, uh, you know, relief sculptures that don't have heads and uh, two small sculptures of a human heart nestled in this sort of cave-like enclosure. So there's all sorts of things to discover. Yeah, it sounds kind of spooky. I'm thinking about last week we talked to RJ Walker about the history of magic in Salt Lake City. And this feels so magical. Like this feels like that. Um, what's your favorite sculpture? Oh my goodness. Maybe my favorite is the self-portrait of child. Um, so that is fantastic. And he, there's an entire sort of brick theater-like enclosure surrounding him. And he has different textures for his pants, his shirt, and his face. It's sort of this sculpture where he's nestled in an enclosure. It's absolutely fabulous. I mean, every good, I feel like, madman artist has a wild self-portrait. Absolutely. My sense of this garden is that the lore around Thomas Childs is that he was kind of a kook. Is that true? Like, did he know he was a kook or has this become escalated and elevated throughout history of people visiting the garden and having this experience? I think that Child absolutely recognized that he was out there. Um, he has this great quote that's attached to all of the educational material. And I also include it in the article that you might think I'm a nut but I hope I've incited your curiosity. Hmm. So I think he was very aware that, you know, this wasn't going to be a grand Michelangelo-esque masterpiece, but that it was something he really believed in. And he hoped at the very least that people would be interested in what he came up with, even if they were sort of scratching their heads at the same time. What do the gardens say about Salt Lake? Like what makes them a uniquely Salt Lake experience? When you visit, you're intimately aware of how the city is changing, how there are apartment complexes sprouting up right and left, how the, the so-called character, character excuse me, of our city um, is transforming in front of our eyes. And so to me, that sort of demonstrates the importance of having these pockets of distinction or character, remnants of a past. There are so many examples of hidden histories associated with Utah, um, whether it's, you know, some kind of dark hidden histories, historically speaking, in southern Utah and atomic testing, uh, internment of Japanese Americans during the Second World War. We also have just this really unusual hidden homage to the predominant faith of the state of Utah that is so different 
than the other public displays of uh, Mormonism in Salt Lake City. Those that I spoke with expressed a worry that these sort of things, these treasures, if you will, will be eliminated by uh, all of these changes. And I, I really hope that that doesn't happen. So it's important for us to have spots like this that remind us of the odd and unique nature of our city. Yeah. It's interesting to me too, because like a lot of the representations of LDS history in the city, and I think the city in general is often described as being like very cleaned up, very um, buttoned up, very sort of at times like criticized as being sterile. And this garden that you're describing for me, this sculpture, this bizarre sculpture garden is so dressed down. I mean, like a disfigured sort of like body parts strewn everywhere. Like nothing about this aligns with our, uh, with the current representation of faith in this city in a lot of ways. And that is, I think for people even who are not LDS and don't feel any sort of way about a Joseph Smith Sphinx is still sort of inspired. Like it still stirs something in you. It's very interesting because the public reaction or the reaction among Utahns to Gilgal Garden is pretty far reaching, you know, and that was one of the most fun aspects of writing this article about the gardens was that, you know, some folks who I thought would definitely be really into this had never heard of it. Some people who lived just blocks away didn't know about it. Whereas it does definitely have this sort of cult following. But I think what I also learned is that there's this category of outsider art that is gaining traction in some circles. What's outsider art? Outsider art is the idea that artistic autonomy is perhaps more important than being part of a larger school or trend. And that having this very romanticized idea of um, one's own vision uh, outside of the mainstream, almost avant-garde, if you will. And I think in this respect, Child is very much um, a part of that category, although he is depicting subjects that, uh, you know, are conservative or religious in nature. But the execution of those subjects is outsider or unusual, if you will. If we were to make a stone sculpture to add to the garden for the modern era, who would you sculpt? <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, I'll probably betray my sports nerdum and I would put a jazz player in there. <laughs> Although we already have these great um, public sculptures to John Stockton and Carl Malone near the stadium. I think I would do Heather Gay from the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. She feels like, <laughs> to me, when I think about like the combination of like, like to me, she is the ultimate LDS sort of outsider, right? As, as represented in our modern, in our modern era. Um, so I think it, mine would be Heather Gay raising a, raising a glass. I love that. And maybe throwing that glass. It would, it would probably be Heather Gay and then like lying near her a glass <laughs> to be in to be in the, the, the form. That is perfect. I mean, just to, to come full circle of the, the ultimate LDS story, I think Heather would be a wonderful addition. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This was a blast.
You can visit Gilgal Gardens seven days a week, and there's no admission fee or secret password to enter. A little news before we go. There are 10 days left in Utah's annual legislative session. And while Madeline is doing a great and concise job tracking individual bills in our newsletter, I want to focus on a trend I'm noticing, lack of transparency. Last week, I talked to Salt Lake Tribune's political correspondent, Brian Schott, about a new mandate that requires the press to have a media escort to access the Senate chambers. It makes it pretty hard to ask questions of legislators beyond the daily press conferences, which Schott said are averaging 13 minutes. On Twitter, Utahns are sharing screenshots of the legislators who have blocked them, which the ACLU of Utah says may be unconstitutional in some cases. And they've even created a guide for Utahns to determine if the banishment from your elected representative's Twitter page is legal. And now there's a House bill that would move the internal testimonies of police officers from public record to private record. This means journalists and the public would not have access to the testimonies of police officers who are under investigation for misconduct. The bill's sponsor says it would ensure that a public employee feels safe to be truthful in internal reviews. But in the bill's committee hearing, a VP at KSL said, quote, the answer to lack of trust is more transparency, not less, end quote. And I agree with her. I think that without transparency, there can be no accountability. And once our access to public records and public officials becomes opaque, it will be very hard to wrestle transparency back from them. So as we head into the last week of the legislative session, which is always the busiest and most hurried, please make sure that your representative and your senator know your name. That's our show today on CityCast Salt Lake. To everyone who is Team Salt Lake 2030 Olympics, you were vocal over the weekend and I hear you. Thank you for keeping me honest. I love infrastructure projects too, I promise. All right, we'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. It's, uh, what else? I feel like we can come up with another good one. <laughs> coming up with words. Is, it's a good thing I host a podcast because I have trouble coming up with words. <laughs> <laughs>